It is another episode of What Do I Do Now? And this one is titled Gifts. And the person I get to speak to in this episode has so many. It's countless. It's someone that I'm actually inspired by day in and day out. The person that they are professionally is absolutely who they are personally. And I'm so grateful for that, especially in this industry where a bad reputation can precede you and follow you your entire career. This person is so solid, so down to earth. And I'm grateful she is on my podcast right now. So with no further ado, the latest episode of What Do I Do Now? Featuring Rashawn Ali. So it is the What Do I Do Now podcast. I've really, really been excited for this episode because it's someone I've always had a connection to, but I didn't even know until I came back to Atlanta the second time. And the crazy thing about it is my first time meeting it was when I left Atlanta. It was my last day and um, my mentor and her mentor, Ryan Cameron, was send, doing me a send-off dinner. And that was the first time I had met Rashawn. And I was like, oh my gosh, they brought Rashawn Ali for my send-off? Like, they were like, no, Sam, she's here for something else. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that. But it was like, okay, cool. Like, I finally put a face to the name that I've always heard about and had attachment with just without the physical. So... Um, right now, joining the podcast is media personality, TV personality, author, philanthropist, and just overall your, your favorite homegirl. I have Rashawn Ali on this podcast. Rashawn, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you, Big Sam? I'm doing all right. I cannot complain. We're doing what we got to do. So as always, my first question is, how are you navigating through this pandemic? I think you take it day by day. I think. Overall, I've done relatively well in trying to, you know, kind of figure out. But I think everybody has been trying to figure out. I mean, but, you know, you do, you're a regular human being. So you see other people, especially when with uh, social media being so prevalent. It's what we do every day is, the, you know, before we pray, we look at Instagram. And, you know, I won't say everybody does, but that has been something that many of us have, have had to kind of change those habits, but just trying not to be so soaked up in the world and continue to be grateful for what you have and grateful for the family that you still have. If you, you know, there are a lot of people who have, who have lost family members because of coronavirus and, and just in general. So um, every day truly is a blessing. So just trying to make sure that that stays at the forefront, even when you get into those times and you're like, man, when is this gonna happen? When is this gonna happen? But really trying to um, quell those questions or silence those questions and just be grateful for the moment. So really just trying to focus in on being present. And that's an everyday decision. Um, this morning I was taking my daughter to school and we were doing affirmations in the car. And I, one of the affirmations that I wanted her to repeat was, I, I am co-creating my day with God because we have a decision to be able to choose happiness, choose joy, or allow other things to affect how we approach our day. And with God's guidance, we can co-create those those uh, each and every single day. So just trying to teach my children how to affirm themselves, just trying to affirm myself every day. So, you know, um, it's, a, it's a constant, it's a constant journey, as my therapist would say. Mental health is a journey. It, it, it is a wellness journey. So just trying to stay well, Sam. <laughs> I, I know you are, and especially as a black woman here in 2020, as um, a mother, a wife, something that I definitely want to highlight is the idea that 
you have to be you gotta have more than one hat you're wearing and for this episode i really kind of want to talk about how you were able to transcend from just doing radio then you're doing tv then you wrote your own children's book like there were so many areas like you added to your repertoire and even personally so i want you to go back before you even met ryan cameron and what were you doing then and before the radio book like really took off for you in atlanta well, prior to me being chosen to be on the Ryan Cameron Morning Show back then, I was, um, man, I had <laughs> I had like eight jobs. The, the radio was like my eighth job out of college. And I worked at LaFace Records in the music video department. And prior to that, I was Left Eye's personal assistant. Prior to that, I was working at Fox Sports South in a sh- on a show called Countdown to Signing Day, where we showcase, uh, you know, extremely talented high school football athletes and I was producer or co-producer on a show called Countdown to Sign in Day Tennessee. So we had smaller shows that were um, kind of uh, under the big show called Countdown to Signing Day. I did so much just trying to figure out what my life was going to be. I mean, I didn't really have, I would say that focused type of direction because I am a creative and I wanted to go to film school and film school was a dream of mine right after I graduated from Florida A&M and went, uh, got accepted into American University, went to DC and visited and was like, oh, this is my next step. And then my mom told me no. And so I didn't, I wasn't one of those children that would fight for really what I believed in back then. And so that answer was final. So I had to come back home and try to figure things out. And the, you know, they helped me get a job at the Atlanta Board of Education and then accounts payable department through a, a close family friend. So I was really just trying to figure out what my life was going to be. And so um, <laughs> when Ryan uh, actually auditioned, when I auditioned for the Ryan Cameron Morning Show, it was an open audition in the city. And once I was chosen as one of the top 10 finalists, uh, I guess he read my resume. He was like, man, you always been a bridesmaid. You never been a bride. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to make it out here, trying to figure out what my life was going to be. So, uh, and, that, and that day, it was at 2000. One, it was in '01 when I auditioned for Ryan's show, and then was ultimately chosen along with CJ. It really changed the trajectory of my professional career. Uh, it was just an opportunity that uh, I will forever be indebted to Ryan for for God using him to be a vessel to help change my life and be able to uh, walk into this 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 crazy world of multimedia, <laughs> which uh, you know can be amazing one day, and then the next day. Thank you for your services. We know how that goes. So prior to Ryan, I was just trying to figure it out. And I think it's it's all still a journey. I'm still trying to figure out what my next move is. I think that when God gives you so many gifts, and I'm so blessed to have so many gifts and talents that I can do a plethora of things and, uh, and so many things make me happy. Uh, I just wrote on my dry erase board, like all the things that I have to get done. And those include writing scripts for um, something that I'm creating, a show idea I just came up with, and then auditioning, and then I'm helping with another show where I'm um, training a talent. So God has given me all of those gifts, and I always challenge people when I speak. I'm like, if God placed it on your heart, how dare you not try? So I would be doing a disservice to the gifts that I've been given um, by a higher source by not even attempting to try them. So I think that's truly blasphemy when you don't try or at least attempt to channel the gifts that God has given you. So, I mean, whether it's radio, television, acting, uh, writing, uh, being a mother, being an an, an author for a children's book, I want to do it all. 
And uh, I don't see why anybody who, who has the gifts, who have the gifts, don't at least attempt it. That's a whole word just in itself. <laughs> and I, you got to kind of let that sink and simmer in in your spirit um, mm-hmm. because that's that's truly w- just what it is, especially when it comes to a situation we were both placed in. And so for those that don't know, those that may not live in Atlanta, um, it was, I want to say, mid-March, late March, getting ready to be in, going to Easter weekend. I get a phone call from Ashan. And um, Ryan had fallen ill and things at that point in time didn't look good. Um, And I'm on the phone with his mom. I'm on the phone with my boss and we're just trying to figure out how we are going to move forward. Cause the thing about radio, it's a 24 seven job. Like the platform that it is, it's always going to be on. So you're going to need someone to step in and fill in the gap until that Ryan is able to come back. And the um, phone call that I got, one of the first people they suggested was Rashawn, and then she actually called, and I'm just like, if you could just be there for that Monday and just help me maneuver and figure this thing out, that'd be a great help. So at least on your perspective, how did that situation feel for you? Because, I mean, I think everyone had, you know, different emotions, but, you know, when you work with someone like Ryan for so long and, like, they're investment into you is like a big part of your foundation to your career it is different especially you know this in the middle middle of the pandemic and so many rumors that are going and floating around that oh it's got to be this oh it's that like at least for you how was it oh wow so prior to the thursday before that saturday when i called you uh sister circle we had found out that sister circle had gotten canceled and so i literally was calling ryan on that Friday to tell him because I didn't want him to see it in the in the news before I had a chance to tell him mm-hmm. and uh, you know even after we stopped working together uh, when he left to go uh, back to to B103 after the Ryan Cameron morning show and then the 18 was created I always um, felt it was my duty to make sure that I, he stayed up on everything that I was doing I mean I think we had that mutual respect for one another um, he would let me know what was going on with him, and we never, ne- we never ever lost touch. So he's always going to be uh, like that big brother to me. And so I was calling him. I was like, let me tell him. Let me. And so I left a message. I was like, well, that's not. And I texted. And I was like, that ain't like him. And then I that Saturday morning, I called Akini, who was our, you know, our producer over at, over at a uh, hot, and uh, uh, we're all friends. I mean, Ryan is our is our big brother. I was like, hey man, you heard from Ryan? I was like, no. I was like, that ain't like him not to text me back. And so I waited five more hours. Then I called you. Right. I said, if I don't hear from him, I'm about to call Sam. And just something in my spirit felt like something was up. I had no clue. And that's when you know when someone is divinely connected, no matter what, like they're divinely connected. And when I asked you, I was like, hey man, what's going on? And I had I text Ryan a couple of times. And I, I know you probably thought, oh, well, she heard something. She heard something. I hadn't heard anything. I literally was like, he didn't call me back. That's not like him. Right. He's out of town. Right. And so you were like, uh, well, I'm really not supposed to say anything. And then you were like, I was like, oh my gosh, my heart just sank. And then I reached out to uh, um, his older older daughter's mother, who I'm sorority sisters with. Um, and, and she was trying to remain as positive as possible because she loves God. And she, she, you know, once things got better, she's like, Sean, I did not want to tell you that. It was very grim. And, and it was. So 
I went into go mode, called Derek Harper, and I was like, hey, I don't have Sister Circle. I don't, you know, if you guys want me to come in to uh, just kind of convey what's going on, come, you know, from an Atlanta perspective, because we're very, we're very territorial when it comes to our radio personalities. I know that the market has been infiltrated by syndicated morning shows, and rightfully so. They save a lot of money, but we still have... I think the Atlanta market still has an affinity towards their own. Mm-hmm. And especially Absolutely. somebody like Ryan Cameron. And, and most people know that, you know, he was the one that helped me in my career. I mean, they, they all know. They they are fans of the Ryan Cameron morning show. Everybody's always like, Rashawn, Ryan, and, Ryan and Rashawn, Ryan and Rashawn. They're always going to fight for that. So I knew that I would be the right person to be able to give it the voice that I knew he would want. He didn't want me to be on there sounding all sad. He didn't want me to be on there like... You know, I'm getting questions from everybody who would normally, you know, kind of be concerned about Ryan, but like really just trying to be nosy. So I had to like navigate that kind of thing and then help his daughter, Ryan Megan, out because she had to, you know, talk to the media. So I helped with writing the press release and all those things. People didn't know any of those things that I helped out with his family. And um, so so it was obligatory. It was something that I knew I had to do. There was no question. And I felt like. If not me, then who? I was close enough to his family to be able to, you know, talk to, you know, um, even his his ex-wife, Keisha, via Instagram, talk to, you know, Ryan Megan's mother. Like, all of these things I was able to do. I was able to, you know, I wrote Ryan Megan's letter to become an AKA, one of her letters. So it was like the, the, all of these things were all the puzzle pieces that needed, needed, it needed for that moment to happen. Right. And one day turned into months of me being on the radio and so for me to come back on when he returned on august 3rd which which was my wedding anniversary and fast forward 18 years prior to that ryan was at my wedding he drove me and my husband from the from our uh from the church to the reception hall in a rolls royce that he had rented and he had don perry on in the car it was like all of that was just so like People don't even know all of those little things right so for me to have been there in that proverbial seat uh, for those few months um, and to know how healthy he is sounding amazing I'm listening to him and I'm take, picking my kids up from school and I was literally about to text him yesterday at the artist storytelling and he was talking about uh, the person that had one job uh, with the heart and I was like this dude is the best at storytelling but I ain't send the text I was just like I'll talk to him about it but yeah I mean it was it was what I was supposed to do and um, I know that the universe God source energy will continue to bless me because because I'm available for those people who I love and for people who I don't even know. Um, I'm just trying to be a servant and do and do God's will. And you do an amazing job with that. And that's something like I, I had you sit in um, when he was gone for you know, doing his Father's Day thing before. There's, I mean, it was, uh, what I say, 2018 into 2019 was when I really got to get close to you and things of that nature. But I think that we even took it to a whole new level when Ryan unfortunately had to take some time off um, due to his health crisis and the ability for you to still be a mom, still be a wife and pick up this, you know, this project because you didn't like what you had said earlier was that sister circle, the TV show you had been on, which was syndicated all across the United States and Mm -hmm. had a large fan base had unfortunately decided to dissolve And to really 
step right into something else that was able to get you to another avenue, another facet of your career now in the acting. Like, if you definitely could mention and give uh, my listeners an insight on, I guess, the timeline of how certain things, especially in 2020, when we're going through a middle of a whole pandemic, how that's kind of transformed and other opportunities have come about because of that. Yeah, I mean... I think the opportunities came. It wasn't that, oh, we heard Rashad on the radio. Maybe we should give an audition for, you know, this project. It was just because I was present and I was um, standing in the space of gratitude every single day. Um, Because literally the show was over on a Thursday. I'm back on the radio on a Monday. And this wasn't like, oh, Rashad, quote unquote, took a step back. She back in local radio. No, it felt so good to be doing what I was doing and honoring Ryan and being able to give uh, updates, you know, substantiated updates on his health and all of that. And so things just kept kept coming because I was just in a state of gratitude. And I got the awesome opportunity to audition for Sisters, uh, which is a very popular show on BT, Tyler Perry Sisters, through my great agent, Gil Talent. Uh, shout out to Genya and Patty. Um, got the opportunity to audition and I auditioned you know self-tape all of, every actor knows especially we are definitely in the world of self-taping I have two that are due today um and so you you self-tape you send it in and you're like all right cool if it's meant to be it's meant to be you'll get the call so I self-tape and I didn't hear anything for like three four weeks I actually had actually gone on a live and I was like well I interviewed for uh audition for a talent pair show I ain't get it literally I was on I think we were on a break um, on the radio mm-hmm. and I got the call from my agent and I picked up the phone because she I I owe her so much still new headshots some I need some stuff for uh, some from, from I need clips from movies that I've done in the past all this other stuff so I answered the phone I was like I know I know I gotta get this stuff up to you she was like what have you heard I was like heard what she was like you got the role I said what I was just like wow because I've been writing in my journal I've been just manifesting and praying and meditating and literally, when you when you put things out in the universe, good or bad, it will come to you. Um, and so uh, I was putting all good things. And so that gave me the opportunity to be a, a part of Camp Quarantine, where we were on Tyler Perry Studios. Before. I was there for 11 days. And the fact that I still did radio from you did. <laughs> my room yeah. at Tyler Perry Studios. Yeah. I logged on, I think, out of the 11 days I was there. I only had to like call in maybe one day. So I ended up doing like five, six days while I was still um, in Tyler Perry Studios. It was just, it was just phenomenal. I was like, wow, man, this is great. I'm on the radio. People don't even know I'm literally in, in camp quarantine in Tyler Perry Studios. Like it was just so awesome. So yeah, and just more and more opportunities with the marketing deals and all kind of stuff through my broadcast and television agency. So it's just, um, things are continuing to, to, to move, you know, I hit a I hit a low point where I had to like really, really um, deal with my anxiety because I do suffer from mild anxiety and just because you know sometimes when things are really, really good and then they slow down, you gotta you sometimes you have to make sure that you don't let yourself go down with with it either. So I've had to really get myself back up out of that valley, and I'm just now climbing back out of that. So I want your listeners to know that that uh, again. You'll have amazing times too, but you'll have times that you'll know you have to pick yourself up a little bit. You know, you'll have to have a little bit more weight on your shoulders to pick yourself up 
to get back moving. So um, it's the ebbs and flows of life. But the, I think the great thing about it is how do you respond to the ebbs and flows of life? I, it almost got me last time. And I was like, man, what is going on? Like, what is going on? And so I had to like figure it out, come up out of it, get back to those things that I was doing prior to standing in gratitude, being present, writing things down, being grateful, manifesting things that I want in my life, praying, um, being kind to myself. I'm very good at being kind to others, um, but just learning how to make sure I'm kind to myself. So um, it's been a journey and uh, I hope that, you know, our conversation will help other people. Absolutely. And I, I know that in every episode I've done thus far, even I take it back to the initial idea of this. I'm like, I, I, I want to do this and you know, everybody doing a podcast and this, that, and the other. But I yeah. just I know there's something different that's coming from these episodes, coming from this season. And um, I just first again, I want to appreciate you agreeing to make this happen. I know you are busy. That's one thing I learned over the course of, you know, those three and three and a half months. Of just being like, Rashawn, booked and busy. She ain't never sitting down nowhere. So just to, uh, you know, get you on this platform and to share your wisdom, your insight with me, I'm very, very grateful for. Um, I do want to ask you about being a mother, especially to two young black girls right now. Um, you are a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. You are a HBC graduate from Florida A&M University. Um, what are you trying to instill in your daughters to make sure you they continue that legacy of excellence that you're trying to lay down? You live it. You live by example. They see me. Uh, obviously, my husband, both my husband and I, went to Florida A&M University where we met, and so we rep we we rep FAMU to the fullest, but we rep HBCUs to the fullest. So, I mean, if this were a regular year, quote unquote. We would have been at Spellhouse Homecoming. We would have been at, or, or if, if we had not gone to North Carolina A&T, we have a close family couple that we hang with. They went to A&T, so we talk about A&T. My daughter, who's 13, visited Howard already. She's already been to, to family. Both of them have been to family homecomings. So they see, they see us representing our schools and they see me representing Alpha Kappa Alpha. I don't just wear the letters. I actually work hard for the sorority. I'm very active in my local chapter, the Pi Alpha Omega chapter. I'm on an international committee, so I serve I serve locally. I've been recognized as the SOAR of the region in 2017, so recognized in the whole South Atlantic region. So I'm not just up here like, oh yeah, I'm an AKA and I'm whatever, but you know, you they know that I, I love Alpha Kappa Alpha. And then on, on the other hand, their grandmother is the national president of Delta Sigma Theta. So they they see they see it everywhere. Their aunts and uncles are, are FAMU and Tennessee State are grad, graduates. So they truly don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> their undergrad experience, we are definitely pushing for them to attend an HBCU. Um, they understand they understand how much of the difference it makes in your life. They get to see it every single day. And we preach it. My parents preached it to me. My husband's um, father, my father-in-law, he went to an HBCU. Like my brother's, my sister-in-law, her mother went to an HBCU. So it's all in the family. And um, I expect them to to follow in, in those footsteps. But I, of course, I want them to, to blaze their own path. But I, I am and we are at least um, showing them what it's like to have gone, to have attended an HBCU and showing them what it's like to be 
and a black Greek letter organization. So um, they see the good, they see the hard work, and they also see the pride that we have for our universities, the pride that we have for our sororities and fraternities, and uh, just the pride that we have for being black people and particularly black women. Um, this moment just puts a cherry on top of all the things that we've been trying to instill in them. They've seen Kamala Harris prior to Saturday night and we've talked about it. We've watched the vice presidential debate. We watched her accept the vice presidential nomination. Of course, I'm, I'm walking around the house, you know, she's a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, don't you? You know, saying it like that. They're like, yes, mom, we get it. But, um, you know, they, they understand it. And uh, I, I just want them to, to be happy whatever decision they make, whether it be an HBCU or PWR. Uh, what sorority they hey, some PWIs still turn out some pretty good talent. I'm just, you know, I'm a I mean, shout, y'all right. shout the boss to A. We, everybody ain't able. I'm just going to say that. Everybody ain't able. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. And that's, you know, I don't like when we, when we publicly like go after each other, HBCUs and PWIs when it comes to black folks. We just have our own unique experiences. And Absolutely. I just, I loved my experience. I can't, I can't equate it to anything else because I did not go to graduate school at a PWI. I didn't even go to graduate school. So, <laughs> um, needless to say, I say all that to say I want them to blaze their own path, but I hope it is at an HBCU. Got you. All right. So, something I definitely want to get your perspective on is growing up here in the Atlanta area. And I know you're from the deck, but I know like Atlanta, how large it, it is now and how it's changed and how it's grown. Um, being black here is an experience for me that I knew I always wanted growing up. My dad's from South Georgia, but we always stayed in Atlanta on the way in and on the way out. And I just knew, like, here, even as a kid, like, I remember watching the Olympics and seeing Muhammad Ali light, you know, the Olympic torch, and there's certain things that I've always been tied to Atlanta. I'm just like, I know I'm going to be here. There's so many, like, early childhood writings I did for, like, class and things like that where I'm saying, oh, yeah, I'm just going to live in Atlanta. And I, I've always known that. But... For someone that is a transplant that, you know, I do Atlanta radio now, but I initially was, you know, in Indiana. I didn't I didn't get the full scope of what old Atlanta used to look like. And, you know, it's you know, I I wasn't around when there was, you know, this small thing called Freaknik. I didn't get to experience and live that. But for someone that was born, bred is in in the city and it's like in their fabric, who they are. What's Atlanta mean for you? Wow. Um, so I get the best of both words. I actually was born in Atlanta at Crawford Long Hospital, which is now Emory Midtown and raised in Decatur. So I get to claim both, which I love, which gives me, you know, people are like, oh, you ain't from Atlanta. I'm like, uh, check my birth certificate. Please do. Raised in Decatur. I get to both. I can wear both shirts. Um, I get to watch or I've been able to witness the, the city completely change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to me going to Florida A&M in 1993, you know, I didn't really come to the city like that. I mean, I didn't have to. We stayed in Decatur. People just stayed in the, where they live. I mean, you might go to Lenox or you might go to North Lake Mall. I mean, I didn't do a whole lot of that. It was really just, you know, kind of staying in the, in, in the area in which I live. But to see it grow from even my days at LaFace Records to knowing that Atlantic Station used to be literally Woolies. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and knowing all of these places that have just really, really grown, it's great. I think it's fantastic. But I do think that we hold on to the people that are still here who are from here. We have to hold on to what was because there was a sense of pride. There was a sense, of, and I, there still is, 
but that I was I'm referring to what it was like before everybody came here. Uh, it was a it it was woo. It's hard to put into words because it was a feeling. Atlanta, old Atlanta, had a feeling. There was something that was just so authentic and genuine, like real. If you meet a real chick from Atlanta, like a real one, mm-hmm. or Decatur, or like it, it, like she just she cool as hell. Like she cool, cool. And when you have people claiming our city and being a certain way and like, you know, acting a certain way, I'm just like, but you ain't even from here. You don't even act like you're from here. Right. Every woman from Atlanta, Decatur, the outskirts are from this area. We There's a certain way in which we carry ourselves and how cool we are. I would say the majority of it. I know it's a blanket statement, but I just, I feel that we are a certain way. And, um, and I think the men too, like, ain't nothing like an Atlanta dude, man, or a Decatur dude. It's just, we just have a, it's a different type of um, um, authenticity that you just can't buy. And uh, I feel like that, when people refer to old Atlanta, that sense of community that we used to have, when it was just LaFace Records and Rowdy Records and So So Deaf, like that was, that was like, ooh, that was like the time when the Velvet Room was popping on Tuesday night, it was industry night. I was in my 20s, man, standing on couches, like single life. Like it was just like, oh, this is great. And nobody was pretentious then. There was no, there was none of that pretentiousness. It was like, we were just out there to have a good time. Nobody cared about what car you drove, at least not for me. I didn't care about any of that stuff. I'm not even that chick. But it was just a sense of authenticity that I think has since been watered down with, you know, different personalities, people coming from different cities. But it's still all good. It makes up the fabric of our city now. That's why we we hold on to that old Atlanta mantra. And we, when we're amongst each other, it's it's a vibe that you cannot explain. And before I wrap it up, and this is something that because I know you have the sports background, so. The Falcons have moved on from the Dan Quinn era. I'm very, very happy about that. We have Raheem Morris right now as it stands as, you know, we're taping this is we are three and one since he's taken over the helm. Um, We have our bye week and then we meet the Saints. Do you think we can potentially win out the rest of the season and potentially sneak into the wild card or even do something crazy like win a division? What are you looking at so far? Well, crazier things have happened. But I will tell you, Mr. Samuel Sir, I'm still <laughs> very scarred from the 28-3. Uh, I'm still very yeah, scarred. I have yeah. not been the same fan since. Yeah. And I used to cover the Falcons. I was on a show, um, uh, Falcons Rise Up Weekly on the CW Network. I did sidelines for uh, the Atlanta Falcons preseason games with Matt Ryan and Dan Quinn and all those guys that and had one-on-one interviews with both of those guys. Like, I mean, who would ever thought that we would see Tom Brady playing with the Buccaneers and then getting obliterated in Monday Night Football? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With Drew Brees. This is 2020 in a nutshell. Man, my God. I never (laughs) thought we'd see it. So I'm saying all that to say stranger things have happened. I'm not going to predict anything. I would love for them to surprise us. That would be great. I hope Raheem Morris continues to do well. And if he continues to do well, that he actually gets a fighting chance of becoming the real head coach. If that's – if he – uh, if that is what he wants, but we just gotta finish it. We gotta finish it. We need we need swag. We need we need a whole bunch of stuff, but we just need to finish. So I don't want to predict anything. Just finish one game at a time. Okay? All right, that's it. Got you. Since I can't get you to predict, I'm gonna have you react. So 
I'm pretty sure you saw, I want to say it was, if it was last week or the very top of this week, it happened yesterday. Tack McKinley has been waived. Yeah. Um, due to those tweets, he was selling, basically telling the, the public that, you know, I was all trying to be on the trading block. They just never pulled the trigger. And I've only got a certain amount of stats right now. And basically, he put all his business on Front Street and really became damaged goods outside of his injury. So how do you... What's your take on that? What, did he do the right thing? Was he just doing way too much? What's your What's your take? I mean, it's a thin line between making sure that you are an advocate for yourself, but also understand that the NFL is still a business. So you got to be able to try to get what you want without uh, messing up your future. What team? I mean, but you know, teams are gonna teams have uh, picked up uh, domestic uh, violence. Uh, offenders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the NFL is the NFL. Uh, but you just got to be careful on how you voice your grievances. There's a way to do it. Um, you know, he there's going to be there's going to be a, a you know, a mar on his back because of how he was able to handle it. Who's to say he won't do the same thing for the at the next team when he doesn't get his stats. Um, you know, that sounds like a very selfish player to me. Um, who's talking about his his stats and all of that kind of stuff? I mean, if you out there to win, you out there to win as a team. Um, but that's the way this world and the, you know these some of these young folks you know are. They just want to, they just all about me. Um, I won't even say just young folks, but you know it's it's a lot of people who are out for self, and uh, that I think that's a clear example of it. So hopefully he gets picked up by somebody else and uh, you know moves on from there, and hopefully he can learn. Maybe their front office will say, hey, when you have any grievances in the future. This is how we want to handle it. Right. Um, please do not go to social media. I mean, and you look at it, somebody like Antonio Brown, who uh, obviously did not perform well. They didn't perform well on the Monday Night Football that I was referring to. But he does look like he is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I wish I wish him well. I was I was definitely one of his uh, critics on how he handled things um, prior to. But he looks like he's on the road to a personal recovery. So we shall see. Rashawn, thank you very much. You just got to let the people know how they can find you in all your many, many projects that you have going on. So run it down right now. You you know the drill. Well, you know, I keep it very simple. You can find me at Rashawn Ali everywhere. I mean, seriously, uh, at Rashawn Ali everywhere. I do have a podcast called The Cool Sore Podcast where I interview women and men in black Greek letter organizations about their life's journey, um, their professional career, uh, so that's on um, Apple Music, Google Play, Stitcher. You can find that. My nonprofit, Sporty Girls Incorporated. We are gearing up for another fireside chat in a couple of weeks um, with some amazing women in, in uh, sports. And, you know, probably gearing up for some more virtual events with our participants. And uh, Piper Sky, if you need a book for your daughter, mentee, uh, niece, check me out at Piper Sky your book for the hot day just like that another episode of what do i do now has wrapped i know you took something from it because i absolutely did um make sure you subscribe whether on spotify whether on apple Podcasts, whether on anchor whether on overcast shout out to my people in the international countries i'm now touching from germany to russia to france i'm very very grateful for your listenership and wherever you are i hope you're taking care of yourself and i will be back here next monday with a brand new episode of what do i do now i will see y'all soon